Hi everyone, I'm Sinhara and welcome to the Black Girl's Guide to Fertility podcast. This show is for all women who are dealing with infertility, but is specifically dedicated to Black women because we have a problem with opening up when it comes to this issue. And I don't want to leave out the men. You guys are welcome here too. On today's episode, I'm going to continue talking about my uh, pregnancy journey and discuss uh, what happened during my labor and delivery. So stay tuned. Fast forward, rewind. So today I'm joined by my husband. Um, I wanted him to come in on this conversation uh, because as I mentioned in the previous podcast uh, that I planned on having this perfect birth um, and it definitely was far from perfect. And one of the main things I told him when we first went into the hospital was that, you know, we're coming in here together and we are leaving here together. And he was like, what? I was like, we are coming in here together and we are leaving here together. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, it was already, I already had some anxiety about the birth uh, because I know Black women, we have a high mortality rate when it comes to childbirth. Um, I also was two weeks past due. And so I started uh, having these dreams that something was going to go wrong. And so I was already kind of like, you know, on 10 about it. But anyhow, we get to the hospital that morning. And I remember I was still very relaxed to a certain degree. You know, I was, we checked in, did all our stuff, sat down. Another girl came in in a wheelchair who was clearly pregnant in labor, screaming and hollering. When I tell you, screaming to the top of her lungs, oh my God, help me, Jesus. <laughs> and so she's a frantic mess. And so I'm thinking to myself, like, is that getting ready to happen to me? So there are other women in the waiting area who are pregnant as well. So they quickly get this girl away from everybody before she causes panic in the waiting area. Um, and then finally they call my name. They take me back to the room, get me all set up again. As I mentioned before in the previous podcast, I was a bleeding. And so they, they didn't know where the bleeding was coming from, but I was a hundred percent adamant. I don't want any drugs. You're not cutting me open. You're not putting me on Pitocin. I don't want any of that stuff. Don't give it to me. So a couple hours into being there, so I think we got there like around nine something and maybe around lunchtime. Was it around lunchtime, husband? For what? what was when they started coming in, asking me about, you know, drugs and stuff like that. Well, let me back up. <laughs> Gosh. Because you're telling the sugary sweet part of it. You came in a little nervous. Un, you know, well, I said I had I was had anxiety, but, but I was still I walked in there calm. Yes, you walked in there calm, but you tried to come into this pregnancy in control of every single thing. You had painted this picture of Says how the control freak. Go you ahead, had bro. painted this picture of exactly how this birth was going to be and how exactly it was going to happen and what date and so on. Yes, you came in there calm, but because we were over, already over the due date and out of your plan, 
you seemed a little frazzled. So you seemed, so you seemed you? a little frazzled before you even went into delivery. That's why you were going through all these extremes of eating jalapenos and you having spicy me. crabs and okay, all these things. You were with me eating this stuff. I didn't touch a crab. Okay, you didn't give them my crabs, but you would take me to get Mexican food so I could have jalapenos. Yes, I was helping you because yeah, exactly. you were getting feeling anxious because you knew I had to travel soon. Um, and you were trying to rush the process of the delivery. And I saw that you started getting your feelings hurt as things started going out of the plan that you had in order. You had a doula. You had your parents there. Uh, they were staying with us and everything. You were ready to go. And as days went on and you weren't delivering, you started to, I think you started to worry. Well, yeah. And plus people were calling and texting all day. You didn't have that baby yet. What's going on? And on top of that, I got nervous when they started saying inducing because I did not want to be induced. So the day that we are at the hospital, we're checked in. Like I said, I think it was around nine o'clock, whatever, we're checked in. I, although you said I was nervous, yes, I did. I was anxious, but I still thought that day was going to go okay because I'm like, oh, I'm going to eat my breakfast once I get to get settled in the room. Like, I'm not thinking left. I'm thinking once I get in the room, I'm going to eat my breakfast and then it's just going to be daddy, daddy, daddy. And then this baby's going to come, you know, next couple hours. So... Like I said, it was around lunchtime, maybe like 12 o'clock or something like that, that they came in and said that, I guess my labor wasn't progressing initially. Remember, they checked me. And I, was I like two centimeters or something? Or was I one centimeter? You were two centimeters when we first came in. Two centimeters. And they said that I wasn't advancing. Um, and then they asked me, do I want anything? I said, no, I don't want anything. I just want to kind of ride this out. And then like an hour after that, I started throwing up. Like, repeatedly. And I couldn't stop throwing up. Um, I think you're missing a lot. Okay, this is what I think we should do. Keep rolling. I think the people that are listening to your podcast need to hear the male side of the story. Okay. This is what I think. Tell your side of the story. So, audio technician, rewind. (laughs) This is the Black Girl's Guide to Fertility slash man version. Okay. (laughs) Let's rewind back to you not wanting to do another IVF. Can we start there? I already talked about that. But I want to tell the man. Side. Okay. All right. So we'll we'll put a we'll put a cork in. No, we're going to get to that quickly. It's not going to okay. take long. I just think it needs okay. to be. Okay. I'm listening to you, hurry, but all I'm thinking about, about the IVF is part, all... so we can get into no. the labor part. <laughs> yes, I understand. But as I'm listening to you, all I'm thinking about is let's go from the beginning. I mean, because the last podcast I did talk about the IVF and how I did not want to do it again. And I was going through the motions and not really believing. And you were insisting that we do it. So go ahead. Okay. So, because I heard your last podcast Mm -hmm. and I had a lot to say on the male side of the version, Mm -hmm. the male version of it. Mm -hmm. So let's start off with the IVF. The final IVF, you were adamant about not doing another one. You were tired of failing. Mm-hmm. You were at the point of, I have failed for seven years, mm-hmm. and I'm, this is what I'm thinking. I may be wrong. You tell me if I'm wrong. I am not going through another process again. 
Yeah, I wasn't interested in doing it again. Right. But we were going to lose our money. No, that's not. See, that's well, what you said on your podcast. Okay, not technically lose our money because we already paid. But if we didn't do it within that time frame, we were going to pay again and start again, which would right. have been a $20,000 so plus is, yes, dollars. Exactly. So this is what and, I want to make the, clear to you. In the bigger your... sense, yes, lose our money because we would have not taken advantage of the money that we paid out. This is what happened. I think after seven years of trying, you were in the frame of mind of you were just going to fail at this. Mm-hmm. No matter what. And you went into this final IVF process assuming you're going to fail. Almost to the point where you are almost acting to me as if, here, I'll show you. We'll go through this procedure, but it's just going to be negative again. It's always negative and so on. And I was adamant about telling you, every time's different. Mm-hmm. You don't know what the one's going to bring. And because we had already paid for a year's worth mm-hmm. and we had an embryo that we could use, why would we not do it? Why would we wait till three months when you recovered from the failure of all of it to doing it again and then uh, starting from scratch and having to come out of a pocket again? So that's when I said, honey, we need to do this. I get it. You're exhausted. I'm exhausted. It's affecting our relationship. I get that we were so tired of failing. However, we had the opportunity to do another process without paying another dime out of our pocket besides the, the normal stuff like labs and things like yeah. that, but not the huge fee. Mm-hmm. And I said, we need to do that. And we did. And I saw you. I knew you were pregnant before you were. Well, because you were snapping you at me. I was acting crazy. Which you I were was snapping at me. You were just a different person. Unlike It wasn't like seven years of failing. It was you. It was like you were a Rockweiler, and I had just I walked know, into I your house. I agree with this statement, but go it ahead. It is true. You were snappy, and I said to myself, "Okay, clearly, I know my wife. Clearly, her hormones, and this isn't okay. just the all this stuff going on. This wasn't just the shots. Well, this is you. Okay, so you got pregnant, right? Well, if I if I was, I don't recall being snappy. I remember you saying I was acting crazy. I don't recall that. But you were acting crazy. But if you it were was, snapping at me. If it was in my mind, I probably was processing already. This is gonna fail, and I have other things to do right now because right. I was out there working. I have other things to do right now than to worry about having to get home at a certain time to give myself a shot and all this other stuff right. that I was giving myself right. the time, okay. the wrong injections at the wrong time. So I don't know if I didn't do hormones or not, but I don't recall being specifically crazy, um, as you said before. Um, I just remember kind of like being annoyed with the whole thing and wanting to be done. Right. I agree with all that. Whatever reason you said you were, you were snappy. You were mean at points. Not every day. You're a nice person, but you were mean. And I said, she's pregnant. So when you took that test, I sat outside the door and you're in the bathroom. And I well, said, first, I told you they called. And I said, they, I came out and told you they probably got those results mixed up with somebody right. else. And I kept doing whatever I was doing. And I said, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. You're pregnant. Why can't you just accept that after seven years of trying, You can succeed. And this is what I think the people listening to your podcast need to know. You could fail for 10 years. You should not go into it assuming you're going to fail. 
even though time has shown you that no matter what you do, it doesn't seem like it's ever going to happen. But you cannot give up. And that's where you were. You were, you were, I think you had given up Mm -hmm. if it wasn't for you and I having a little argument about doing this final Mm -hmm. process. And it worked out. Not saying this is how it is for everybody. Yeah. But if you really want to have a child, you cannot just give up. Even if it's 10, 11, 12 years. Yes, people have their special circumstances where it's just unobtainable. Mm -hmm. You were not that person. And you were ready to give up. And you really, really wanted a child. You had did Black Girls Got a Fertility web series. You had dedicated yourself to it. Mm -hmm. And then, I'm fast-forwarding a little bit. Then when you got pregnant, then you start feeling guilty for being pregnant. Mm -hmm. You start feeling like you couldn't share this information with anybody. You didn't want to talk about it. I wasn't sure if you didn't want to talk about it because you were scared you were going to have a miscarriage. And you didn't want to get excited. It was... Seven years of trying really affected you during your pregnancy. Even though days, I remember you throwing up, going, but smiling as if you were happy that you were finally throwing up. <laughs> well, yeah, I said on the you last You were happy that, to be throwing up because you knew that this was a sign of you being pregnant. Well, I said that I felt like God gave me this, the all day sickness, so to speak, so that that's proof, oh, you are pregnant. And it was, let me just explain, it was not a pleasurable experience. Right. It was pretty, pretty brutal. Yeah, you had it. Um, it was it was horrible. You and were I was all just day. trying to survive the day because it was really bad. Right. Um, but that was like my way of knowing that, okay, yeah, I definitely am pregnant. You were throwing up all day long. Yeah. Every time you threw up, I saw you smiling (laughs) as if you were happy to finally be pregnant, but you weren't willing to share with the world, even your siblings, all the good news of being pregnant. I I had to tell your family once again that you were pregnant. I told my parents and I told my, no, I did. Okay. Did you have survivor's remorse? Yeah, you talked about that. I did, but I did. I told my parents very, I told them first, and then I told my brother and sisters maybe like a week after that. I mean, it wasn't like then everyone after that, it wasn't immediate when I told everyone, which you told them, but it wasn't immediate when I shared it. This is just my, this is the man version again. This is the male side of it. I saw you hesitant to tell people, such as the producer. You kind of scheduled this time, like, I'm finally going to tell her, and you weren't sure on how you were going to tell it because, to me, it felt like you weren't enjoying all the hard work, all the prayers, all the commitment that you did to finally conceive. You weren't able to enjoy it because you felt guilty because you knew so many people that were trying to conceive, and you did not know how to share in that moment of people being people enjoying or being excited excited for you you were more worried about people not being excited so you'd rather not share that with anybody now I just want to say this as a man to anybody who's listening to this you are authorized to to be excited and to share the news of something you've been trying so hard to do Mm -hmm. you wanted a child you tried I know we say seven years, seven years of treatment, but it was years before that of actually trying to conceive naturally. 
we des- you deserve to reward yourself and share the news with people and not keep it top as a top secret information until you finally went on uh, your your social media Baby shower. And, and announced right you were eight months pregnant away when you finally started letting people know yeah. that you were pregnant meaning social media yes yeah. people I mean, of course people noticed and so on but like at your job your job you didn't tell anybody but your supervisor that you're pregnant yeah I didn't know those people for five I'm months. like I'm not telling them and I was eating they would they would have all these elaborate lunches every day which was free because they paid the company paid for them. Um, and I would have a cup of apples. Like I would bring in two apples every day and I would cut them up so tiny that I could just eat them all day because I couldn't eat anything. And so I was like, I have to eat something. So like every hour I would take like a little piece of the apple <laughs> and eat it. So they probably thought I was crazy. I don't know. But I'm just like, I don't know them. I'm not sharing this information with them. Like, but the this difference is my between you and me business. is I shared it with people because I felt like we had ran this marathon. Mm-hmm. And finally got to the finish line. No matter what place we came in, first, second, third, or one hundredth, mm-hmm. we've completed the finish line and we achieved what we set ourselves out to do. Mm-hmm. And it almost killed us. Yeah. Those are the things I think you need to make sure are very clear mm-hmm. to people listening is that it is a battle. Yeah. It is a war zone. We struggled. It's, you and I fought. Yeah. You and I did not get along. Yeah. It affected our relationship. Mm-hmm. It had affected the way we loved each other. I left you at home one time, remember? We was going to breakfast. Yes. <laughs> yes, one of your very proud moments of leaving me. But yes, this is what it does. It, it, well, it can almost destroy <laughs> the foundation that our marriage was set on because you are constantly failing. And people need to know And we have to remind ourselves that we are able to reward ourselves and celebrate the achievements that we worked very hard for and to never, ever, ever give up on something that is your passion and your dream, no matter how awful the experience is, no matter how terrible we feel daily. If this is something that we really wanted, we have we can't give up and you are going to. So that's so, right. Now I feel like we're caught up. Okay, so let's let's put it. A, let's put a cork there. We're gonna now fast forward. Okay, now I'm ready to fast forward. Fast forward, and we're gonna get back into the labor. A fight to the finish. Now we're caught up to the day of labor and delivery. Now the morning of labor and delivery, if you recall. You, the night before, you had eaten all these spicy crabs. And that morning, you woke up because you thought you weren't sure what had happened. And you came to tell me that to come look in the toilet because it looked like something to be bloody. It was, it was like, the bathtub, wasn't it? No, first it was the toilet because you had some bloody shell, mm-hmm. which we thought the mucus plug mm-hmm. had broken, which yeah. it looked like the mucus plug, which it probably was. Mm-hmm. And then you call the doctor to see, I mean, you call the nurse's call center to see what the next steps were. The labor and delivery call center okay. number. They told you, would you have any contractions? And you weren't really having contractions, but we determined that some of these feelings you were feeling were contracting. So we started timing them. 
and they were like seven to eight minutes apart. So the doctor said, or the nurse said, why don't you stay there, wait your contractions get more, and call me if there's any changes. So then we fell back asleep. Well, I fell back asleep. I don't know if you fell back asleep. Mm -hmm. Then you woke me up because you, what happened? Well, the cramps were increasing. But again, it wasn't anything that was painful. Like I didn't even take any Tylenol at that point. Right. But I did feel like increasing cramps. It felt like period cramps. Right. Uh, but they were getting uh, more and more consistent. So at that point, I was like, I think we should go. And then I remember seeing more blood because I got into the bathtub. Right. And I saw blood there. Yeah, it was a lot of blood. And because it was so much blood, I took pictures mm -hmm. because I didn't. I wanted to make sure that when we communicated to the nurses, this is the amount of blood. I didn't want you to go there because you had spoken to the nurses saying that there was blood. And they were like, well, that can be normal. Mm -hmm. And I knew by looking at the amount of blood, this can't be normal. Yeah. So I took pictures just as evidence to show to make sure we weren't communicating wrong information. So then. So we get there. We get to the hospital. We finally get checked into a room. Um, everything's fine. But you were panicked before that because it was a girl screaming her lungs off. Yeah, I and that's what that. kind of set yeah. you to like a little so, fearful. Yeah, so I was like, is that going to happen when I go in there? And then I don't know if you recall, once I got into the room, another lady next to us was screaming. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that she same was giving girl. Birth. Yeah, right. It wasn't that same girl. It was someone else. She was screaming to the top of her lungs. So I was like, oh my god. Um, but still in mind, I'm like, okay, I can do this. Like, this is not going to be bad at all. It's going to be over in a couple hours. So anyhow, we're, I, they get us to bed. We're in the room, relaxing. I have my worship music. Yeah, you had your, you had your the music on. Talking you to were me. happy as can be. Yeah, the and the nurse recognized nice. the music. Mm -hmm. um, she started telling me that her father, I think, used to be a minister. And, and I switched to worship music like at the last minute because you, mm -hmm. you said you didn't want to hear like all these different songs and stuff. So I was like, well, if I have instrumental music, so anyhow, I switched right. to instrumental music and then the nurse was like, oh my God, that's such and such. Um, and I said, mm -hmm. yeah. She's like, how do you know about this guy? And I was like, oh, it's like my brother told me about, you know, it's instrumental music. So I downloaded it a couple of days ago. And so her and I started a conversation from there. And then she started telling me about her dad, I think, being a pastor or something. And how I think at this point, I think he may have had Alzheimer's or something, but he still remembers going to church on Sundays. He still gets up and wants to go there. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, me and her just started a conversation. So she was very nice, very chill. Everything was good. I'm like, oh, I really like this nurse. She was coming checking on me. Then the second nurse came in who was kind of training a little mm -hmm. bit. She was still very nice, very yeah. sweet. Um, they were both very personable. They were trying to make me comfortable. Um, they're like, you know, you can't eat anything yet until, you know, we have, we talked to the doctor because you were the telling midwife. me. Yeah. A midwife or doctor because you were telling them about the blood. Right. I hadn't showed them the picture yet, but I told them that, you know, that you were bleeding. And my concern was that it was more blood. And they said, well, the midwife will do a, will check you. Yeah. And so on. So, so the first midwife did check. Right. And she, I didn't really care for her. She wasn't personable. She yeah, was more she of was, like, this was She was just all business box, and right. just like, whatever, very unpersonable. Not well, that's when I had to pull really. her to the side. And I said, whatever. I said, I don't remember her name. But I said, I need to show you these pictures. Mm -hmm. So no, not everybody's in here assuming that it was just some normal bloody show mm -hmm. from the mucus blood. From the mucus plug. So then I showed her the picture and she goes, oh, this is much more blood. Mm -hmm. Than 
I was thinking yeah. it was. Mm-hmm. So because of that, we don't want you to eat anything yeah. or do or drink anything. And we need to set you up for an IV just to monitor you for a while until we know why there was so much blood. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I wasn't able to eat. Um, I still, you know, I was able to get up, you know, use the bathroom. I was keeping my hair combed because I wanted my hair to be... Um, <laughs> So once again, I wanted my hair to be combed down. You had this entire plan. I wanted my hair to be combed down. And then I know there were certain points when I was asking you to brush my hair, you was getting annoyed with me. And I was like, why can't you just brush my hair? <laughs> I did I did brush your hair, but this is my thinking. I understand where your frame of mind was. Your frame of mind was for the last seven years, you had a plan or an idea of exactly how this labor and delivery process was going to go. You had a doula, you had met with a doula, you had did all these exercises before, mm-hmm. you did all these things in preparation of having I had my this, birthing ball with right. me, I had all my stuff yep. set up. You had a ton of luggage, you had everything, yeah. you were ready to make this happen and just make it as smooth as possible. And, and peaceful. And peaceful. Yeah. I saw a different side. I saw a side of the first thing in the morning, the sign for me was there was a lot of blood. And to me, that was a warning sign for me to focus on other things <laughs> besides brushing your hair. Well, I get yeah. it. I did brush your hair. Yeah. Because they kept like propping me up and putting me down. I feel like my hair was over my head. I was like, I don't want to be in here looking crazy. So, yeah, I was getting you to brush my hair. And I couldn't. So let me just be specific. I couldn't really move around at that point because they had machines hooked up to me. So when I got up, I would bring the whole machine with me into the restroom and all that stuff. So it was getting a little bit difficult. So a couple hours had passed. I'm going to say by this time, maybe it was around 1230, 1 o'clock. Right. Um, no, no food, nothing like that. I started throwing up like really bad. Not yet. Yes, I did. Not yet. Because a couple you, hours had gone by. You hadn't started throwing up yet. Yes, I did. Sudhar, I think you have this out of order. Okay. Because what happened is, is that lunchtime, they wanted, you wanted to eat. and then I wanted you, to eat when I first got there. They said they no. wanted to eat again. Yeah. The midwife came in to check you again mm-hmm. and determined that your cervix had not dilated since your arrival of being two centimeters. So after three hours, it was still exactly the same. Mm -hmm. So the nurse said, no, we still don't know why you were bleeding. And you were still bleeding a little bit because they were changing your sheets Mm -hmm. underneath you. Yeah. Like the sheets underneath you because there was still blood coming. So Mm -hmm. they were very cautious. Mm -hmm. So then you didn't start. I remember this very well. You didn't start getting nauseous and sick until they gave you that Pitocin. Okay, I don't okay. I don't recall which way it was. I remember around lunchtime. Yes. Twelve or one ish, I started throwing up and I couldn't stop throwing up. Right. Like it just would not stop at all. Um, and then I remember the nurses getting concerned, well, like you can't keep throwing up like this. We're gonna have to figure out something to do. I don't know what they gave me. I want to say like an hour or so went by before they gave me something. Mm-hmm. I think they were trying to wait to see if it was going to stop on its own. Uh, but when they realized it wasn't going to stop, they gave me something. I don't know what that was. They gave you something to help you from vomiting. Yeah. And that made me like a little bit drowsy. Right. I don't remember what it was. It made me a little bit drowsy. So I, I do recall kind of like falling asleep at one point. Um, and then after the first dose of Pitocin, they gave me another dose of Pitocin. So they gave you the first dose of Pitocin because you were not dilating. 
You were you hadn't moved from two centimeters since we arrived at nine o'clock that morning, and now it was one ish. Mm-hmm. So they asked you and said, "We feel like we need to move this along. Give you a little push, like a little boost, just a little bit of a toasting." And I think they popped my water too. Not yet. Okay. I know that was a day of extreme yes <laughs> mess for you. Yes, but I was watching it all. Okay, so they gave me extra pitocin. More. They gave more you pitocin. pitocin. They gave you pitocin. They gave first. me one dose and gave me another right. dose. Right, and the reason why they gave you more, if you recall, is because between when they first gave you the first amount of pitocin, you actually started dilating a little more. You went from two centimeters to four centimeters. Yeah, I don't remember that part. I remember the contractions getting worse. Right. But I was still kind of like drowsy, but still feeling the pain. So I was just dealing with it. But if you remember also between the first dose of Pitocin and the second dose of Pitocin, you were still bleeding. They were Mm -hmm. still changing your sheets. Mm -hmm. And then they started noticing fecal matter and the ambiotic fluid, which was not a good sign for the baby, Mm -hmm. for the baby's health. Inside, they're having fecal matter in the ambiotic fluid. Mm -hmm. So that kind of made them feel like this was a little bit more urgent. And they gave me more protection. They gave you, they talked to you about it. They said, you know, you were in pain then. I mean, yeah. you weren't, I don't know if you were paying attention. You were just sick. First, you didn't want the Pitocin. You had this whole thing of having a natural childbirth. You had watched yeah. this um, documentary. Documentary. This since being born. I watched that years ago. Right. And every single woman in that documentary who talked about getting Pitocin, who had Pitocin, got sick. Right. And ended up getting a C-section. Um, from my recollection, and I knew I did not want that. So they gave me several doses of the Pitocin. My contractions got really bad. It went from being kind of like, you know, kind of mild period cramps to bad period cramps, but something you still can manage. And even on your worst day having period cramp, first thing you lay down, you take a nap and, you know, kind of like get through that pain. But it went from having a pain that was semi-manageable to having a pain that was not manageable at all and for my personal body it was not manageable you you were shaking you were having I had the tremors I had like I could not keep still literally I was like shaking uncontrollably so then by this time I don't know what time it is maybe five or six o'clock several hours had passed so by the time I got to ask for that epidural maybe it was like maybe six or five-ish yeah five or six you had been what had happened is, this is what had transpired. You had a few doses, not several, but and they a few doses of Pitocin. And you still weren't dilating mm-hmm. past the force. Once you hit the four centimeter mark mm-hmm. of dilation, you weren't going beyond But that. my contractions were increasing. But your contractions were increasing. And the, they, fecal matter was, the fecal matter was more. And they said they thought my water only partially broke. Right. So then, then they, they realized popped my water. They popped your water. Because sometimes when the water, when they pop the water, it actually increases mm-hmm. the the uh, the um, dilation of the of the uterus mm-hmm. because the water is broken. Mm-hmm. And when they did that, a lot more fecal matter had come out. Mm-hmm. Still concerned mm-hmm. and still knowing because by then, around four o'clock, that your your midwife that you had been seeing on a regular basis yeah. became came on shift. She knew you. Mm-hmm. She knew. Your history, mm-hmm. she knew your wishes mm-hmm. of wanting to um, have a natural childbirth mm-hmm. and was in support of that. Yeah. But by six o'clock, I said, I want epidural. Six right o'clock, now. you said, they said, we have to give you more Pitocin. You have fecal matter and, and you're had to wait. fluid. Then they told me I had to wait an hour because the um, 
the person, the anesthesiologist, was busy at that point in time. So they said it would be an hour. They put the call in. You? But it'll be close I don't know to, if you remember this. It'll be close to I, an hour before he came in there. I don't know if you remember And I remember this. I started you, panicking. They, you told, they told you we need to give you morbitosin. You said, no, unless I have an epidural. I cannot take any more pain. Yeah. That's what you said. Yeah. So they said it's going to take another hour. And you said, not without the epidural. Mm-hmm. So within that hour time frame, mm-hmm. they did not give you any more. I don't remember what they gave me. They did oh, not give you more because adamant. you were adamant yeah. because you were already shaking. And mm-hmm. I was in support of that. You were already shaking. You were swimming. You were sweating. You were vomiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were finding more fecal matter. A lot of things were going Left. not according to plan. Yeah. <laughs> so the guy comes in very, very good. Gives me that epidural. So I was very nervous about that. That was the last thing I wanted to do was get epidural. So I heard horror stories about that. But he came in. Before he came in, the nurse came in who was getting ready to get off shift. And she said, he is the best that you ever want to get. She said, you're in great hands. And so that made me have like a little bit of assurance. But I was still like, okay, whatever. Um, I didn't feel a thing when he was back Mm -hmm. there. You know, I didn't feel anything Mm -hmm. at all. Um, and then once it kicked in, then the pain really started to subside. Um, and I was able to, I think I went to sleep for a little while. Yeah, it subsided because you were asleep for the next two or three hours. Yeah, I think I went to sleep. I think I had, I, I had enough at that point was, in time. While I, now let me tell you my side real quickly. I'll make it quick. Okay. So, um, I got the epidural, um, sleep at this point in time. My husband is the one talking with the midwife. Um, and the doula. And, and the doula. My doula was there. I couldn't do anything with the doula because we had planned all these different exercises we were going to do at the hospital with the birthing ball, walking around with my sneakers, all that stuff. We couldn't do anything because they wouldn't let me get out of bed because I was bleeding. So once I got the epidural, I did go to sleep. My husband was speaking with the midwife. And then during that time, a new doctor came on shift. But we didn't see the doctor until the wee hours of the morning. At least I don't recall seeing him. Yeah, he walked in just to do a quick check at your chart and then left. But it was very nice. Yeah. So So after that epidural, you were talking to the midwife. Right. I was talking to the midwife and I was talking to the doula. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't remember the doula's name. Uh, Delandra. Delandra. Excellent. And even though she wasn't useful in the sense of with the labor and delivery, she was very useful to me because I was able to bounce questions off of her and her be able to monitor things that she's familiar with of things they were doing. So we knew together that we were making the right steps on behalf of you and the baby. Because at that point, matter, matter of fact, back to two o'clock in the afternoon, when they started you promote the pitocin, you weren't really coherent. You were First, you were frustrated because you had the pitocin. Mm-hmm. Then you were still vomiting. So you're conscious, you were very uh conscious of trying not to vomit mm-hmm. that was your focus mm-hmm. and then you start then the second pitocin came then you got worse and you mm-hmm. really started shaking and you really started vomiting then you had to go to the bathroom off and on and you had to get up and go to the bathroom because they were giving you fluids to the um through the iv mm-hmm. which made you had to urinate so then that kept going so when you finally went to sleep i was happy because you were finally asleep and i could actually get things answered from the doula from the nurses because we had a new staff come on came in the midwife that had been taking care of you for all these months prior to which happened to be there i showed her the pictures again of all the blood she was concerned as well from all the blood 
But she said, it's nothing to be concerned yet to where we need to move things along. And because they didn't know what it was. Because they didn't know what it was. And they still don't know what it was. Her only concern at that moment was the beginning of the fecal matter that was in the ambiotic fluid. Mm -hmm. But they were going to monitor because they could still monitor that baby's heart rate. And all those things were doing well. Yeah. Then around nine o'clock, we hear this siren buzzing thing go off. Mm -hmm. The doula got up immediately. She knew what it was. And I didn't know what it was. And the nurses were in there. And she came over to you and was telling you to just rock the baby. Yeah. She woke me up and told me to put my hands on the sides of the bed and literally shake myself in the bed. Right. Just keep doing that to from side to side to keep the baby right. active. She right. said, you want to keep the, baby, the babies going to sleep, keep her active, get her up, move around. You need to shake as much as you can. Right. So I was doing that off and And at the same time when that siren went off, that buzzing went off, Nurse staff came in at mm-hmm. the same time after the doula mm-hmm. had already spoken to you about what to do, but she knew exactly what to do yeah. to take care of you and the baby. Mm-hmm. The nurses came in, and what had happened was the heart, baby's heartbeat had dropped significantly, mm-hmm. which concerned, you know, set alarm off in the nurse's station, yeah. where they came in and had to reposition you and mm-hmm. move things around. At first, they thought that maybe the monitor that they had inside of you, mm-hmm. the monitor the baby's heartbeat, had just moved. Mm-hmm. And, re- and they were trying to reposition it. Then mm-hmm. they realized, well, they repositioned and then we can hear the heartbeat again. Yeah, We did not know at that time that it was because you had rocked the baby. Yeah. Awake mm-hmm. and alert. Mm-hmm. Or into a new position. I'm not sure exactly what happened. Yeah. So then they left. Um, that went you, on for several hours. That I'm running back yeah, in. You were, in, you were asleep. Mm-hmm. But you you were alert enough to know when you heard, I don't know what the, the doula had told you, but mm-hmm. there was a certain sound mm-hmm. that the monitor would make mm-hmm. when the baby's heartbeat had dropped. Drop, yeah. And you knew it, even if you were sleeping or mm-hmm. just, for whatever reason, mother's intuition or mother's instincts, you immediately start rocking. Mm-hmm. I did not know what you were hearing, mm-hmm. but I could see it. Yeah, I could see the chart in the baby. So you would rock the baby awake, the nurses would come in. Keep coming in, keep coming in. This happened for at least another four hours. Four hours, yeah. Maybe five yeah. of them coming in at least twice every hour yeah. to revive. For me, wasn't sure if it was you mm-hmm. they were reviving or the baby's heartbeat reviving or both. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was starting to cause concern for me mm-hmm. watching you already vomiting, you already uh, having... Uh, Sweat, you bleeding, and I'm having to change the uh, pads and things that were underneath you constantly because there was so much blood and ambiotic fluid and fecal matter. It became very overwhelming as a husband or anybody who's in a room, but mm-hmm. mainly the husband who loves you and loves his child he has not met yet. Mm-hmm. As okay, this is getting to be a ridiculous to me on trying to follow this plan. Mm-hmm that you had for seven years of how you were going to have a baby. Because every single thing from the moment we woke up with the blood was not according to the plan. Yeah, and I agree. And, and for me, it wasn't so much that I had to stick to the plan per se. But at that point, they didn't tell me there needs to be another plan. Right. Like I know no. they told me Pitocin, what you need to do. I think the stuff, midwife. But they didn't tell me until I guess that was what. Two, three o'clock in the morning. Right. The midwife was trying when she to came in and meet she said, needs Yeah. Until it was an emergency situation. Yeah. So like three o'clock in the morning, two thirty three, she came in and said, Hey, so this is where we're at. This is not good. I remember the doula came over to the bed. I do remember that because she wanted to hear mm-hmm. what she was saying. 
She's like, this is not good. We're going to have to stop what we're doing and I'm going to bring the doctor in and we need to move forward with having a C-section. And I said, no. I do remember saying yeah, no. Yeah. No, I do not want a C-section because I obviously heard horror stories about that. And like I told you, when we got to that morning. And I had looked at the midwife and I looked at her and said, yes. Well, that and morning, you did not see me do that. And no, I was like, I don't, yes. Because at that point I was tunnel vision, like I'm not having no surgery. And I said to you that morning when we got there, I said, we came in here together and we're leaving here together. Yes. Because the mortality rate for black women during labor and delivery is very high. Yes. So that's the last thing I want to do is be cut open by somebody. I understand. So when she told me that, I'm like, no. I was like, can I have another hour just to see how things shape out? She said, no. And I'm going to tell you why. Better fact, I remember her saying, I'm going to bring the doctor. She's going to bring the doctor in. And so when the doctor came no, in. Let, us, let me pause because you're missing a crucial point. When she said, let me go get the doctor, the nurse was still in. And the nurse came up to you and said, Sanhara, I have come in here twice every hour. I know there was a lot of nurses. There was like seven nurses. I don't remember which one. She said, I've come in here twice every hour to revive the baby. I cannot promise you that the next time I come in, I'm going to be able to revive the baby. Mm -hmm. We're at a position now that in the baby's interest and in your interest, and I remember her saying that because that put fear in me that I was going to lose both of you was going to be just horrendous for me, that we need to go to the next step. So mm-hmm. I was already set. Yeah. Your parents were in there. Your parents had heard of you. I, I can tell your father heard of more than your mother, I think. I think your mother was just trying to take it all in. Mm-hmm. But your father basically kind of looked at me as if, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is where we're at because... Yeah. We can't keep trying to revive you and the baby (laughs) every two hours in hopes of a natural childbirth Mm -hmm. because we already had bleeding. We already had fecal matter. The ambiotic fluid had already uh, been released. We just could not do anything more. But I knew when you said, can I have another hour? I was trying to process it. You were. Thinking at that point, okay, God, if I get another hour, I need you to show up and make this happen. And then when the doctor came in, Dr. Griffin came in. That's my first time ever meeting him. He came in and he was very personable. And he was excellent. Yes, he was very personable. He was really good. He came in. He said, listen, I know this is scary. And as a husband, you know, my wife has three children. Every single time she's had to have a C-section. And being someone on the other side of that, understand where you are. But I also need to explain to you, we have two options. You can come right now. We can get you prepped for surgery. And this can all be done. You can have your baby and we'll be done. You'll have your baby, I think he said, by 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. He said, or you can sit here and you can wait an hour. He said, and then we'll be in a life or death situation. He was like, so I would say you need to come with us now and go ahead. We can get you dressed, all that stuff prepared for the surgery. Your husband can come with you versus you being there by yourself. If you wait an hour, you're going to be back there by yourself and it's going to be life or death. And once he said that, then I said, okay. And he but I was, crying. yeah, because I did not want to be coping. I'm like, oh my right. God, I'm going to die back there. No, I got it. So <laughs> then at that moment, there was a, like all these people in the room. Your parents were in the room. It was like the 10 nurses. Was in the room. There was nurses in the room because they had been coming in and out to revive the baby. It was at a point where... And at that point, they was going to take me away to, right. to the and um, I said surgery room. To everybody in the room, I need a few minutes alone with my wife. Mm-hmm. Everybody get out. Yeah. I think they told you to be quick. I remember She said to be quick. I didn't care what she said. Yeah. I kicked everybody out the room because you and I needed a moment for me to tell you that I love you. 
I had some tears to shed myself. Mm-hmm. I have I kept feeling like for the hours be, before that I was going to lose you and I was going to lose the baby mm-hmm. because it was getting to a point of to me insanity of trying to follow this plan that I wanted to follow with you because that was your goal and your dream of having a child and how the process was going to work. But it was at a point where it was just every single thing going wrong. Yeah. To I mean, include. Like I said, that was, that was my goal. But again, I never was, I never felt like I was defying a doctor's orders and midwife orders because they were on the same page with me in terms of, you know, you're, you're healthy. Right. There's no reason why the baby should be coming. We don't know why the baby's not coming. We don't know why you're bleeding. We don't know why but, you're not dilating but, past four centimeters. Yeah, but let's just see what happens. And then once we reach that point of, you know, we don't know what's going on. Everything's going wrong. We need to take you back for surgery. Then it was like, oh, right. you know, then it was like reality was setting in. Right. And I know that you've, to me, this is what I feel. I felt like you felt like having a C-section was a failure mm-hmm. in the sense of you already tried to conceive for seven years mm-hmm. and you having a C-section was a failure mm-hmm. to giving birth. Mm-hmm. And that was, to me, the wrong frame of mind of thinking. Mm-hmm. Though I understand, and though I don't understand because I'm not a woman, but I understand the thought of it feeling a failure. But I kept trying to tell you, we are going to have a baby yeah. any minute. So we they took you back. Mm-hmm. They prepped me. They brought me in. We sat there next to each other. Mm-hmm. I could hear them talking and doing instruments and so on. And to everybody listening, this is the most amazing thing that I have ever heard in my life. This may not be a big deal to you guys, but as I'm sitting there next to my wife and they have this like screen up to where we can't see the, the They asked C-section. me that I want to see. I said, no, I don't want right. to see. So as they're cutting into my wife, and as we can hear the baby, them doing their, you know, procedures, hand me this, move this, I see the baby's foot and so on, whatever. My wife looks at me and says, as, now <laughs> you guys have to understand. I don't remember saying no, this. No, I'm going go to finish saying it. As I'm sitting there next to my wife and holding my wife, she can't feel anything. They're doing the C-section. I can f- see them, her body moving because they're doing all these procedures. She looks at me and says... Honey, the next time we have a baby, <laughs> I don't want to do it this way. And I can't imagine, as a woman, I can't imagine, period. After this day, who to me, that was horrendous of everything going wrong. And as they're literally slicing into my wife to pull our daughter out, she is already thinking about having another baby. How is this possible but it is something i will never understand as a man but ever since that day you have still been talking about let's do it again <laughs> <laughs> let's do this all over again the, the insanity of it and all i can think of are you crazy <laughs> i feel like death was upon us every second of that day and that was a terrifying day for me yeah it was and i don't want to relive that it was a fight 
to finish. Right. It would drag Seven years down, of trying to knock finish off, with like, this. And that's why I just knew, oh, I'm going to have a peaceful birth. Even the midwife said, oh, because you went through all this stuff, I know your birth is going to be, this is going to be easy. This is going to be, it's probably just be a couple hours. So everyone had told me this stuff all throughout the pregnancy and I've been praying about it. So I just knew this labor was going to be quick. It was going to be easy. She was going to come by the boom, by the bang. And the so, story, and it was a drag down, knockout fight to the finish to get her here. So they're cutting me open. I remember they pulled her out. And at this point, there's so many people in this room. I don't know how many people. Maybe you could remember counting them. I don't, don't know. Lot. It was a lot of people in this room. Everyone was dedicated to keeping me alive yep. and, keeping <laughs> and to keeping the baby alive. alive. And I remember when they, the thing I do remember, because I was on so much medication at this point in time, thing I do remember is when they pulled her out, they said, the doctor said, simultaneously, everyone in the room said, oh, how cute. Remember they all said that at the same time? And I was like, oh, I can't see. And so I remember they pulled her over the curtain. They showed her. No, they brought her over to the thing. I know it was quick for you. They brought her over, did her check, real quick checks. Mm -hmm. And because she was in good health and crying Mm -hmm. and breathing and Mm -hmm. so on, they brought her so you can have a quick peek. Because at that moment, you and I were going to separate. I was going to stay with our daughter. You have to leave. So the the spouse has to leave. And then you... With the daughter. With the daughter. To keep an eye on her from that moment. So to all the women out there who go through this process... And they tell you this before they wheel you into the surgery, is that once they pull the baby out, of course, they show you the baby. If everything goes well, they show you the baby. And then your spouse and the baby leave the room. They're gone. You stay in the room. They continue to do the surgery on you because they obviously have to close you up, make sure everything's good and all that stuff. So they were still doing surgery on me for about another 20 minutes after my husband and the baby had left. And so I'm just sitting literally in a white room, these bright white lights on me. You know, they are talking to me, ask me if I'm okay, all that stuff. Um, And then they take me to a recovery room where I am there again alone for another two to three hours. You were there next to the baby. No, I end up by accident. By accident, I was next to the baby. So when they brought me upstairs, because they tell you before surgery, you're going to be in there by yourself. And you'll be, a nurse will come check on you. They want to make sure that you're recovering and all that stuff before they take you down to your room. Um, They say you will not see the baby until we make sure you're okay. Okay. And that's another two to three hours. So what happened when they brought me upstairs, you guys happened to be in the curtain next to me. I don't know what the lady was doing. If she was trying to weigh the baby or something. Yeah, they were cleaning the baby. And I remember you you pulled the curtain back or something. I Mm -hmm. forget what happened. And then I ended up seeing you guys. And then you guys were taken away. It wasn't that long. Maybe like three or four minutes. And then you came back. You told them you had to come back. I said, I would like for you to Mm -hmm. have a moment with your daughter. And they said, said and then they said, Sure, and mm-hmm. thought it would be a good idea to try for you to nurse real quickly yeah. because she had fecal matter and wanted to make sure she yeah. was taking some fluids in. Mm-hmm. So, by the grace of whatever, our daughter mm-hmm. immediately latched on to your breast mm-hmm. and was and was feeding. Yeah, And I knew right then at a moment, it was a moment for you, tell me if I'm wrong, that you felt like a mother. Um, I didn't specifically feel like a mother yet because it was just like 
your baby's being taken out of you and you're in a room by yourself and then you're wheeled up to another room by yourself. Mm -hmm. So still very like separate, isolating process, so to speak. So I don't feel like we bonded at that point in time, but I was happy that she, I was like, oh my God, like she's breastfeeding. Like this is working, you know, because you hear so many stories about the baby's not latching on. But from the moment she came out, she latched on. And she's eight months now, and I can't get her off. But yeah, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was like really like excited through my pain. I was excited about that. So you guys leave. You were in there maybe three, four minutes. So I'm going to the uh, nursing area. The um, the nursing that the, what was the station called? The baby. The baby. The baby well, nursery. Yeah, the nursery. And and you go moment, down to the room. You're able to go down to the room. And then the baby went to the nursery. No, I went to the nursery with him, but I had to look outside the window and just keep an eye on her just to make sure, to see what they were doing. It was glass and everything so I can see. I didn't want to make sure because I had heard horror stories too of babies getting mixed up and so on. So I kept eyes on that baby. Yeah. But at that point, I was also very concerned about you. You Mm -hmm. had just went through an ordeal Mm -hmm. and I did not want you to be alone. So then I called your mom and dad and I said, I need your help. I need Mm -hmm. you to come up here to the nursery to the nursery Keep an eye on our daughter because mm-hmm. I felt like our daughter was in good hands. Yeah. And I wanted to be next to you mm-hmm. for a moment. So then they came up. They were glad to come on up and they were taking pictures and everything through the window. <laughs> getting in trouble. They was getting in trouble because they weren't supposed to be taking pictures. But I went down mm-hmm. to make sure you were okay. And then I sat and talked to you for a while to make sure you're okay. And then once I knew you're okay, I came back up to the nursery and then we went to your room and then they brought you in yeah a couple of hours later because they checked to make sure like your blood is fine i think not clotting or whatever they were doing several checks within that three-hour period while i was up there certain things they want to make sure are happening or not happening before they bring you down to your room and because our daughter had so much fecal matter or since the ambiotic fluid has so much fecal matter in it, they were very concerned about her as well um, because there was so much fecal matter. So they did a lot of tests on her. So yeah. in closing for me, let me say this. When it is, it is great to plan for things, but it is also great to plan for things not to go according to plan. Mm-hmm. Be ready for it all. That's my advice. My final advice, and I leave it to you. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely say be ready for it all. Um, And also, like I said, I had a birthing plan, and uh, everyone was very supportive of my plan. And once again, once, obviously, I was there for almost 24 hours in labor, but once they came in and told me, because everyone there was supportive of, you know, me having a natural birth and me having this my daughter vaginally, which is what I wanted to do. Uh, but once they came and told me, hey, we don't know what's going on. We don't understand. You've been here all this time. Why things are not advancing? We don't understand why you're bleeding, but she still don't know if this is there, why I was bleeding. We don't understand why any of this stuff is happening. We need to take you back. And once they explained that to me, um, although it was terrifying, 
um, I was on board uh, with that. So, of course, be ready to make changes in your plan. Be open to it. <laughs> Say your prayers uh, because it is a very scary process. Um, but again, for me, it was a complete fight to the finish. I have a scar from uh, the C-section. So it's just a reminder that things are not perfect. Uh, but I was able to have my daughter and I'm grateful to God for that. And as my husband said, which I don't recall saying um, that I wanted to have another baby, but as he said, I would do it again um, because it just is a um, surreal experience. And of course, I would love for my daughter to have a sibling um, that's her age and, you know, that they can grow up in the house together. So, yeah, I would do it again. Um, and of course, if I run into the same problem, I will 100 percent do what I did this time, which is listen to what the doctors and nurses have to say, because that's what they're there for. So, yeah, that was my process. And it was horrifying. It was all these things. Um, but I'm grateful. I'm Snahara Eastman, and thank you for listening to the Black Girl's Guide to Fertility podcast. You can stay connected with this movement on my website, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And if you haven't already, please join my mailing list at blackgirlsguidefertility.com and snaharaeastman.com. And please be sure to check out the first two episodes of my web series on YouTube. And if you'd like to donate to the series, please go to blackgirlsguidefertility.com. Thank you for listening.